that's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. You know, don't worry about the infrastructure that you're running software on. How do we shift from thinking about infrastructure and servers and hardware and IT in general to really thinking about applications as solving business problems? It's all focused on the business objectives. So what are the business drivers of cloud adoption? Where are you trying to get to as a company? And that's really kind of where we craft the plan. Now that was Taylor Bird and Miles Anderson of the company Anika, which is now a Rackspace company, by the way. Now Anika is one of the world's best in helping companies transform to being cloud native. Now in today's episode, we look at this through the lens of being either cloud native or cloud naive. If you've ever wanted to hear from some of the world's best on the topic of cloud native transformation, then this is the episode for you. Now, a friendly reminder to stick around after the conversation to learn about Rackspace's new global roundtable events and to get a sneak peek into next week's episode, which is quite different from any that we've done before. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. You know, in the old days when a company would move to a managed hoster or even adopt a new server technology, really wasn't much that needed to be changed other than maybe where the storage went or the database was located. But when a company goes and starts to consume services from a hyperscaler cloud like AWS or Azure, Google, uh, there's a lot of capability there. In fact, uh, you can use in, uh, infrastructure as a service and, and have it be a very similar migration. But if you're really going to get the most out of what that cloud has to offer, there's going to be some changes to your application. Now, there are a lot of terms that get used for this, but ultimately it's some sort of cloud-native transformation. It's going to make your application work much better uh, inside of that environment. To have the conversation about transforming your applications, I've invited a couple of folks today uh, from our Anika practice here in, at Rackspace. One is Miles Anderson and, and then also Taylor Bird. So really quickly, gentlemen, welcome. And I'm going to give you each a chance to sort of introduce yourself, you know, what, who you are, what you do here, um, and really how, you, how you've gotten into your position. So, so Miles, we'll start with you. Sure. So Miles Anderson, uh, lead delivery and engagement for Anika. I've uh, been with Anika since uh, about 2018. Prior to that, um, been in the AWS ecosystem since the relatively early days of about 2009 was my first wow. AWS project and, and full speed on AWS about 2013 timeframe. Um, so I've been Incredible. watching this play out for a while and have learned some of these transformation lessons uh, the hard way <laughs> along the way. So happy to <laughs> share and help people avoid that fate. Nice. All right, Taylor, introduce yourself, please, sir. Yes, thank you. Hey, I'm a Taylor Burr. I oversee uh, product solutions and a bit of technology for the Onica business. Uh, kind of similar to Miles, I have been uh, doing this for quite some time as well. I actually started in the Azure days before Azure was called Azure. It was called Project Red Dog at the time. I remember. And uh, I've been in cloud ever since. So doing doing cloud since kind of before it was called cloud and uh, been in AWS Google and Azure ecosystems of very various spots. So uh, similar to Miles, I've seen the the good, the bad, the ugly, and and whatever is worse than ugly as we go through this transformation journey. Nice. All right. So before we talk, I think deeply about transformation or or even the term cloud native, because we're going to use that term probably a fair amount today. Uh, I think we should we should probably define it. Um, so Taylor, you you've still got the mic. Um, 
when you think about sitting in front of a customer and you say, you guys should really be cloud native, what, what do you tell them? Yeah, there's a million ways to answer that question. And often you see customers really quickly getting to the technology, you know, what, 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 what nugget of technology excellence I'm going to use. But, but really when we step back, uh, the reason it's called cloud native uh, is to really look at the, the ultimate promise of cloud computing, right? This idea that, you know, for businesses that aren't technology business or those that are, you really want to focus on your business problems, right? And that's really what the promise of the cloud has always been. You know, don't worry about the infrastructure that you're running software on. And, and sometimes don't even run it, worry about the software too much. Uh, you really just want the business problem to get solved. So, you know, when we talk about cloud native, it is really, you know, how do we really apply that? How do we shift from thinking about infrastructure and servers and hardware and IT in general to really thinking about applications as solving business problems and then leveraging all the technology tenants that cloud computing has brought to that store? You know, the idea of self-healing infrastructure, auto-scaling infrastructure, you know, running things in a serverless way. We don't even think about the underlying infrastructure. I mean, I really think at the technology level, that's the core takeaway about what cloud native is, is how do we build applications that are solely defined within the business problems they're trying to solve? You're not building software to run in a place or on a thing or to cost X. You're building software to solve a business challenge uh, and using all the available technologies that these hyperscale platforms give you to achieve that outcome. Uh, and ultimately, uh, from a technology lens, I really think that that's what cloud native means when we're talking Great. to a customer that's heard the word and, and wants to get going. Yeah, but but so often cloud native really needs to include a whole lot more. So Miles, you've had some experiences as you've helped uh, you know, implement cloud native uh, type of projects and, and solutions inside of companies. You know, if other aspects aren't necessarily considered, then then the hope for adopting the technology really sort of falls flat. Right. And that's exactly it. So it's a, it's a change in thinking, as Taylor mentioned, it's not just a change in the underlying technology, but to really take advantage of it. We, we, you know, we use the analogy that if you're just changing the, the address on your data center, like, yeah. you're not cloud native, you're not thinking about how this is fundamentally shifted uh, the technology and the business landscape in the right way. Um, and I'll give an example of just where that thinking changes and, Early projects of ours, probably 2012, 2013, um, I was working at a big data firm and the the promise of cloud for big data is huge. So it's a it's a great equalizer. It's a great opportunity, um, especially when doing large batch jobs um, that you want to spin up a cluster of thousands of machines and shut them back down. Um, so when we started, uh, we were really excited about it, really excited about the prospect um, of being able to leverage surge capacity. And the very first time that we tried to do something as simple as starting up and shutting down our cluster, we learned we were not cloud native. Like, everything <laughs> we built was designed on the entire premise that it would be left on and it would always be running. Um, right. And so once we implemented some technology changes, we then came to the process mindset that had to change, right? Uh, about how do we, you know, how do we develop against this? How do we, you know, get work approved? How do we, you know, budget for these kind of things? So there's a, there's a lot that, um, that comes into play from a business perspective when you, when you really start looking at, uh, at cloud native and, what the cloud can do. Impressive. All right. So it really is about not just what, you know, Taylor primarily mentioned, and that is the technology aspect of it, but for a company to truly adopt and become cloud native, it's about a people change. It's about a process change into the way things, the way things are done and the way you use it. Sometimes an organization change, right? So, you know, we talk a lot about operating models uh, that companies have that need to change. 
Well, all right. So, so operating models and organizational change. Why, why does an organization need to change just to use, um, not just to use different infrastructure, but to, but to, you know, become more cloud native? Yeah. So when we come into a customer who, who wants to, to move in this direction, um, one of the first things that we identify is we help them map out their entire value. We call it value stream map, right? Um, so we're mapping out what does it take for you, Mr. Customer, to get requirements that come from the from your customers, right? And they might be internal, they might be external, but to get the needs that they have delivered to them. What are all the steps in that process that we look at? And oftentimes, um, this is where the, the what we call the operating model pieces sort of break down is we'll find an organization that is structured in a technology fashion, right? So they have a networking group, they have an infrastructure group, they have the operations group, they have a development team, they have a QA team. Um, so all you're doing, if you're if you're leveraging the cloud and you're able to kind of accelerate these deployments, is you're just you're accelerating the time to get from one bottleneck to the next, right? And you're just kind of yeah. hopping along, right? right. Whereas, uh, you know, when we look at the entire operating models, we want these teams to be completely self-sufficient and for all of this to kind of be automated and baked in. So a singular, you know, call it two pizza team is kind of the Amazon terminology. It's we want to construct teams that are completely enabled to move something from the inception of that need all the way through till it's in the customer's hands. Um, and that's where the or, the organization has to change. The way you know they look at things has to change in order to take advantage of the speed that the technology permits. Right. Uh, I love the, the the phrase the two pizza team, two pizza size team. Um, it it really just makes sense. So Taylor, when you're thinking about from a from a uh, a product offering perspective and how you're going to go to market, it's not just you know in Rackspace of old we would put together. The last thing, the golden thing you'd have to have when a new product came out or new offering was the spheres of support document. And those are the things that we will or won't do. But when you think about, you know, from a managed hosting perspective, but when you think about transforming an organization, and and of course, it's, it's going to start in the technology. It's what we do. But in order for the company to be successful with it, there are these other areas they have to think about. So when you think about creating a product or an offering, you know, how do you how do you build that into the into the mix? Yeah, I mean, it's just that that overall focus that that Miles mentioned. You know, a lot of people come to us, and you know, you all have been doing cloud for so long. What are the lessons learned? And and they are looking for, oh, you know, use this type of storage; it's cheaper. You know, use this platform; deploy this frequently. Not, and we have a few of those, but almost anyone long enough in this industry will come up with the lessons learned around exactly like Miles mentioned. It's very rarely the technology problem. You know, technologists are smart and creative and curious by nature. They're going to figure that stuff out. Right. We can help them. We can provide that guidance. But really, when we develop that product, it is really about creating that sort of interconnectedness so that no matter how a customer tries to, you know, I don't want to say skip, but sort of get to that technology solution, we have to ensure that we're sort of pushing them back into, you know, hey, maybe we can optimize here. We can optimize there. You can, you can adopt this piece of technology for this solution. But once you're doing two or three of those, you really need to look at, at how the entire operation, how management, the idea of separating, building something from running it. I mean, mm. that separation can no longer exist. You know, you can't decide that you want to release something every hour like Netflix does. If your current model requires seven weeks of 27 individuals to review it, that's, that's not a matter of an upgraded automation platform, right? That's a matter of completely altering your thinking. So we definitely have to build sort of interconnection, um, sort of solution stories, right? We really want to take the customer who's, hey, I want to implement containers. Okay, what what are you really trying to say? What's the problem that you're trying to solve with that technology choice? 
let's back it up and let's figure out, okay, let's, let's, let's deal with both the technology along with the organization and the mindset changes that go along with it. And that's really the only formula to succeed at this. Uh, there's, there's really no uh, alternate means by which to make these transformations successful. So we use the term a lot inside of uh, working in technology of, of, of we're here to solve some technology debt and technology debt, debt basically meaning here's some stuff we didn't solve for later on that we're going to you have to pay the piper at some point in the future. But what you're actually saying then is there is people in organization and organizational debt that if you don't pay that, if you don't deal with it at the right time, then, then you know it. It not only is it something you have to deal with later, but it puts absolutely into jeopardy what you're trying to accomplish today. Yeah. So when you think about that, and you think about um, companies that have had challenges in that area, brought you in, hey, um, you know, solve this technology thing for me. But really, there was a larger challenge at play, and they didn't solve for it. Any examples you can give about you know something where where you've had to do that, where you've encountered that? I think one of them I can think of is a company that we have gone on to do uh, a, a massively successful transformation with this organization. So it's a it's a large you know oil and gas servicing company, but it didn't start that way. So we started about a year earlier, um, coming in to do a relatively simple pilot AWS migration. So AWS brought us in. Uh, said, hey, we've got this oil and gas servicing um, company that that wants to start moving to AWS. They've got a relatively simple workload. They want to sort of pilot there and go from there. Um, and that started off as just, for lack of a better term, a nightmare. Um, mm-hmm. So we spent uh, many, many hours in uh, meetings to nowhere. Right? So we had 20, wow. 30 stakeholders in a meeting. We're moving a single relatively small application. We've got 20 and 30 stakeholders, you know, all in the meeting. We've got the security group, the networking group, the operations team, the business, the, everybody's there. Um, they're doing stand-up meetings every single day that are taking an hour and a half. Um, they're doing what they were calling, you know, sprint review ceremonies at the time every three weeks. And those were taking, uh, one of them took, I, I want to say, literally eight and a half hours, an entire day to do a sprint review. And so we we came to this customer and, and fortunately, they, had, they, they were starting to have the realization uh, as AWS and and we were partnered with them and explained to the customer like, look, guys, this you can't succeed in this way. You, yeah. you can't even we can't even move the smallest workload, and it's not because we're incapable of doing it. It's not because AWS isn't ready. Like we've we, AWS has proven like the technology, the cloud is there, like it's ready to right. go. Your organization is so broken right now that you you can't even accomplish this relatively simple feat. And what they began to see was, um, you know, they were beginning to lose market share, right, and having a lot of competitors more nimble, smaller competitors kind of come in and start start taking some market share here and there. And that was the impetus that they used for a massive transformation. So it, it took us months, I think it took almost a year to kind of get the structure of that transformation in place and for them to build the political capital to be able to implement on it. Um, but yeah, it started from just from desperation, really. I think a lot of that's where these transformations are born out of is just it's desperation. There's some kind of business driver or some change agent or impetus that moves you in that direction. But um, yeah, at first it was, it was not a happy story. It was not a happy place. Um, a year later, you know, we started the transformation and a year following that is we've been, we've been executing on it. Um, and the changes have been, have been awesome and, and they've been great to watch. And uh, the employees are happier, right? Executives are happier. They're getting things done faster. Um, but yeah, it didn't, didn't start there. 
So do you so do you have this big come to Jesus moment, or is it is it just this this mountain of pain and everybody just drops their head and goes, we gotta solve this thing? Do you ever just walk up and say, stop paying me money until you solve this problem? Otherwise, we're going nowhere. Sometimes. Um, you know, usually there's a way or kind of around that immediate pain, right? So it's it's not always a big transformation. That's the that's the the story. Um, a lot of times customers are willing to isolate that particular project to get it done and say, okay, like ignore all of, all of the external noise, right. That's happening. We're going to give you, we're going to make this the model project, right? So we're going to, we're going to shape this project the way it should be run in a healthy yeah. engagement. We're not going to deploy the entire security apparatus and stick them on you guys. We're going to take one person from security and they're going to be on the product team. We're going to take one person from this group and they're going to, and we're going to tie their success in their role to the success of this project. And that's where, you know, they almost accidentally built a two-piece team where they had yeah. what they needed. So that's often how they'll work around it uh, if they really want to get that project done. But yeah, sometimes, you know, it has to be escalated to an executive level that sees the need for a larger change. Um, and and sometimes there's no appetite for that, right? Um, and we, yeah. and it, it does, it's rare, but it does happen that we can't get, can't get the project over the finish line. And a lot of times, you know, the the executives of the organization will realize that and, and go, look, it's definitely not anybody else. It's, it's not you. It's not you. It's us. It's not you. It's us. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah. It, and it, you know, it's interesting when you talk about building that two pizza team and you go from, like you said, you, you grab one person from security. You don't go have, don't go meet with security. You grab one person from networking, you grab one person from infrastructure and, and then they're able to then more clearly understand what the desired outcome is, not necessarily how to solve it, but where are we trying to get? Are we trying to get across the river? Well, management may have said, go build a bridge, but maybe there's a better, faster, cheaper way that we can accomplish that task. And now you have a small group of people, a squad or a, or a pod, if you will, who are working towards a common goal, who are going to, who are going to feel the pain of the failures and the, and the joy of the successes as they get it. And, and, and off they go. And that becomes organizational cloud native, I would think. Yeah, that's often the, we call it, uh, and that's even how we recommend doing transformations. We call it a city on a hill approach. So mm -hmm. the idea is that you're going to take a team or a small subset of teams and rather than transform your entire organization all at once, you're going to focus on one team or maybe a group of three or four teams. You're going to model and shape them the way you want and get representatives from the right different organizations and tie their success to the success of the projects. Uh, and that proves to the organization within itself that, oh, this can succeed here. Because right? it's yeah. one thing to say, oh, you know, Bank of America can do it and, and Capital One can do it and GE can do it. But, you know, it can't, you know, we can't adopt the cloud here because of X, Y and Z or we can't transform in that way because it just doesn't make sense or whatever. It removes those barriers when you can see the success within your own organization. So then it gets back to repeatability and repeatability from an Anika perspective. And I think then how do you how do you rinse and repeat at the next thing? So in order to do that, there needs to be, you know, Taylor needs to be enough structure around how you're doing something, a playbook, if you will, but not necessarily so rigid that it can't uh, ad adapt to um, it can't adapt to this specific organization. So, as you're thinking about these things, you know, how have you helped to to solve that from a repeatability perspective to go from customer to customer? You know, and Miles can definitely chime in some here. I mean, for us, it is about sort of opening up that idea of what what does a framework mean? You know, customers definitely, you know. This is pretty typical of everything, technology and, and um, consulting, right? It's like, I just, you know, I want to give you money and I want to be DevOps. I want to be cloud native. Tell me when it's yeah. going to happen and that's it. Um, and it, it's it's actually pretty easy to, to 
to try to build a delivery company that, that tries to meet that, you know, okay, well, if we implement this software stack and we, we move you onto this platform and, you know, you, you nominate this center of excellence that suddenly we'll get it. Uh, I think the first step that we really had to learn is to build that framework, but the framework really becomes just sort of anchored to a number of, of like core concepts and core tenets. And, and you have to design for the flexibility. Um, you know, the idea of two pizza teams, you know, obviously that's a thing that, that does work. You can call them whatever you want. Maybe it's three pieces or one, or, you know, someone's hungrier that day. I mean, you can flex, but that core idea of smaller build it, run it teams, that's, that's vital. The idea that you need to create enablement functions within those teams, you know, you need, you know, you need someone from security, you need someone from development. Uh, th those are core concepts, but, uh, you know, we have worked in individuals, you know, the size of team, the membership of those teams, how many teams we start with, that varies widely. You know, we've started transformations with, you know, two teams. We've started transformations with 30 teams. We've started transformations that there is no technology outcome. We've started transformations that were solely focused on solving a technology upgrade path. So it really is around creating a framework, a guidebook, and core tenants, and, and learning to sort of live in the um, – little bit of the uncomfort uh, and also training our people to sort of appreciate and understand and predict the uncomfort. Uh, a lot of these sort of projects do start out with a little bit of prescribed pain. You're running into a wall occasionally and learning to become comfortable with that. Uh, learning how to guide customers through that uh, becomes really vital as we look to do this for multiple customers uh, and continue to learn from what works and what doesn't. So then it sounds like going into work with a company, um, while there needs to be, again, it goes back to the city on a hill, you know what that destination is, but there's so many variables across all these different companies that you can't necessarily go in with, a, with an exact pattern, almost an anti-pattern, if you will, because you're thinking about where it goes. You know, Miles, how do you approach that when you're, when you're thinking about delivery? Yeah, so it's all focused on the business objectives, right? So that's what we want to get in and talk to the customer about first is what this is a technology for technology's sake, right? What are you trying to accomplish from a business perspective? Uh, is it that you're trying to get features to your customers faster because that's what your competitors are doing? Are you trying to lower your operating costs because um, you're, you know, you're in a very cost sensitive environment? Uh, are you trying to, you know, improve the operational reliability of an airline, for example? Are you trying to, you know, avoid an exceedingly costly outage and making the newspaper, right? So what are the business drivers of cloud adoption? Where are you trying to get to as a company? And that's really kind of where we craft the plan, right? And, and that's what we come up with. And then we're also talking about what are the pain points? So sometimes, most of the time, we come into an organization that from an, we talked about operating model, from an operating model perspective is closer to where we it's sort of hybrid, right? They're, they're not sort of the pure technology stack, you know, type of organization, but they're not pure product either, right? So they're not the two piece of team orientation. They're usually somewhere in the middle, right? And so that's where we're crafting a plan with them. And we have, you know, we call a five panel workshop to help them envision where are they from an operating model perspective and where do they want to get to? Um, we do the same thing. Um, we also have scorecards that we leverage. So from, you know, we have a DevOps scorecard and an agile scorecard that we'll deploy with customers to say, Guys, this is the gold standard of DevOps. This is the gold standard of Agile. You may not want to be the gold standard. May, might, you know, you're not Netflix. You don't need to deploy every hour. But if you can cut your release cycles down from every 18 months to every eight weeks, that's a huge victory. That's a so win. What that's is, a real win. Right. So what does that look like? Right. So then we do a scorecarding approach to show them, here's where you are. Here's where we think we should get to. And, and here's the plan to get there. 
So then you guys are, are pretty embedded with these companies that you're working with. In some cases, you're a guidance counselor. In some cases, you're a technologist. Yeah, this, uh, and I think Taylor will speak to this too. This only works if you're deeply embedded with the customer. Um, and I, and I, especially if it's transformational. And I say that for a couple of reasons, but um, one of them is most of the transformations that we have walked into, the customer has a failed transformation in their history. Um, it's, it's, it's almost selection criteria for a customer to do transformation is that they've, they've failed in the past. And uh, every single one of them that is in that category, the transformation failed because it, it simply amounted to training, right? So every customer identifies the need for training. Like, oh, we have to learn about the cloud or we have to learn about Agile. If we do a week of workshops or training sessions, then everybody will know it and, and great. Then they'll go on there about their merry way. Um, that, it doesn't work, right? So it, doesn't, so it doesn't get people bought in on the change for one. Um, and what we find is it doesn't support them in their day-to-day job. Um, so we take a model where we embed with them, um, especially we're doing an agile transformation is we, we provide the scrum coaching. They can watch us do it. And then we embed with them day to day. So we're not telling them theoretically what they should do, right? They come to us with a problem or a question that they have encountered in their day to day job. And now we're working through it with them and helping them solve it. Um, and the other piece of that is we are their advocates to the executive suite. So if an exec team wants to do a transformation, one of the first things that we tell them is this isn't just your point down, right? Transformation needs to happen in this office too. Um, and so oftentimes we'll advocate for, you know, the, the boots on the ground all the way up the chain of command um, to, you know, to make changes there as well in terms of, you know, when are executives asserting requirements? Are they dropping into the middle and demanding that things get done? Um, are they commanding certain technologies and maybe shouldn't be making those decisions? Um, so it's a, it's a two-way street. Um, the same thing goes with the DevOps approach, right? On the, on the technology side, and Taylor can speak more to where we've done that, but we're embedding their expertise, our expertise with them and, and helping them, you know, day to day work through the challenges that they are, they're going to encounter. And I think that's sort of that repetitive nature, it's also an evolving nature, right? I mean, we are there to help companies transform. We are oftentimes not necessarily there to take over for them. And so it's mm-hmm. this sort of, gradual plane in in some of these past we've we've sort of prescribed like a three or four step approach and it's really you know maybe we're going to plan how you do it so that's sort of a a step zero but then we're going to do it for you show you what we're doing train you how to do it then we're going to shift to a mode we're going to do it with you and then we're going to shift to a mode where you're going to do it and we are basically just there um, to remind you to help you and to reinforce and at each of those phases we are introducing the same topics, sometimes reintroducing the same topics because you are dealing with changing people's behavior, people's defaults, right? Of how they're gonna react to a situation. It's easy to take a class on DevOps transformation um, and, and, you know, okay, I'm gonna do something in an automated fashion. I'm not gonna gonna log into a console and do a thing from a technology perspective. That's a lot harder to break when something goes boom in the night, 3 a.m. in the morning, your business is down, right? So uh, this idea of, reinforcing at multiple stages and also providing services uh, across those phases. You know, we're going to be heavily embedded from an advisory perspective up front while we get going, while we're sort of coaching people through, you know, the, the natural tendency to push back on something like this. We're going to help work through that. And then we're going to shift into engineering assistance, you know, helping implement these tools, introduce new technology patterns, et cetera. And then even coming into some of our more sort of recurring support models where we're going to, you know, help. Maybe you're ready to do this, but then you get to the operational phase and, you know, you need some help. You need some ongoing. So, you know, to be there for that, because this transformation is going to be a period in time, 
there's a history before it and there's going to be some work afterwards. So we have to really provide um, solutions and support to reinforce every step of that, every, every step of that way, because I've also seen transformations that go really well until mm-hmm. the day that we leave. <laughs> and, and, and so you have to balance. I mean, your, your job as a trusted partner consultant is always to simply help a co- company get better and then, and then leave. But it's very easy for things to revert back. So oftentimes these become sort of, there's a need for long-term reinforcement, be that from a partner like ourselves, uh, either training or doing, uh, or perhaps um, even the company themselves being ready for it. But it's this ongoing thing. It's it's similar to make me DevOps. You know, you can't transform me overnight and it's just going to stick. I think that's an important add on there. Got it. So, uh, yeah, incredible. Uh, so the crawl, walk, run mode, obviously, and uh, and then to hopefully um, stay out of the way uh, when they when they trip a little bit and let them let them you know um, skin their knee a little bit, pick themselves back up. And the thing that I find really interesting about the conversation in this aspect and the way that your approach to helping a company adopt cloud native technologies and practices is it's a methodology that uh, is independent of the technology. So that as, you know, we know that moving out into the cloud is not just a a, uh, real estate change, it is a methodology change because that cloud is going to continually uh, upgrade itself, if you will, every night uh, or even just all day during the day in a lot of cases. And so what we architect for customers on a daily day basis, you know, what we do today may not be appropriate tomorrow because there's a new, a new, you know, serverless based technology that we just built a bunch of stuff for. So, uh, but they'll be equipped to be able to adopt that stuff. But it makes me wonder, Taylor, when we think about um, these types of services, these fall into the bucket of what I would think of as professional services. We're gonna, you're gonna say, okay, these are the these are the things we're gonna do for you uh, over a period of time. The outcome is your behavior and being able to consume the stuff and applications being moved. But then there's managed services, and that's the care and feeding of stuff over time. It it was a hundred percent applicable in a more static environment. I believe it still has. Um, a place to a place in the DevOpsy world in the cloud native world, but what's your opinion there, Taylor? Yeah, you know it's interesting. I mean, we we look at this obviously internally quite a bit, um, and and where I've really come around to thinking is, you look at those core tenets of of building something and running something, uh, and in a um, sort of traditional pre cloud world. Those are very bifurcated functions. You have whole mm. IT organizations developed around either one. And at most companies, they both exist. Uh, you know, you have a, a CTO, a CIO, whose who's top level reports specifically address the construction of solutions and the, the management of those solutions. And so to your point, uh, a managed service partner really helps with, with one piece of that. Pro service helps with the other. Uh, when we look at DevOps and cloud native, what you really see, uh, and we've said it before in, the, in this in this chat, build and run become the same function for the company. Yeah. Forget how they're doing it; they're the same function. And so, and then the transformation is really helping that company come to adopt that same model. They're going to organizationally change to support that. So then you look at out, you know, external help. Uh, where does a, a technology partner help in that world? And I really think it's you just sort of back out of the the. PS versus MS versus style support, it really becomes, you're still going to need assistance either with new technologies, 
Um, so from a you know, skill set perspective or a capacity perspective, et cetera. And so that's really where we see the role of quote unquote managed services evolving is you have these, these now these small pizza teams all over. You have sort of uh, hyperstructures ahead of them that sort of group them together. We're still going to need help. And so that's where we look at sort of unique offerings of Anonica, like our Anika Teams offering, where it's really to say, you know, we're going to give you either a two pizza team to help you yours or we're going to give you people that can assist with that model. And so the nature of ongoing work actually increases in this world. You've now shifted everything to a software backlog and someone has to mm-hmm. burn that down. And we really see that in that world, that's where, you know, what you traditionally call managed services can really evolve to in a DevOps mindset is helping companies burn down that backlog, do new things faster, do backlog work faster because when you shift to build and run, that technology debt is no longer something you just put off. It's mm-hmm. something that literally will get in your way every day. And so that's where we really see the fit for that sort of services is to help with that, help those teams evolve, help those teams keep up, help those teams supplement and explore new technology in the same way that a traditional managed service provider or a pro-serve split would help in sort of a sysops mode one world. I think that sort of hybrid approach uh, is where you can find great partnership once you've shifted into this DevOps SRE mode two world. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a great point, Taylor. And the the one thing that a lot of customers, uh, or maybe maybe we don't realize, is the business doesn't stop. <laughs> we want to make these changes, we want to do this transformation, but they still have to be deploying things to their customers that they need. So we can't mm-hmm. we can't pause the business or stop the business. And it's up to them the extent to which they need to you know they they are able to deal curtail their velocity uh, or maintain it. And I think that's where that managed service offering comes in is if, if the answer is we can't slow down <laughs> while we yeah. do this, um, then yeah, they're, they're going to need some help to burn down that backlog. Indeed. Well, I tell you what, this has been an incredible conversation, literally from the trenches of, of becoming, taking somebody from cloud naive to cloud native. And um, I can guarantee we're going to need to have more of this conversation and maybe even dig into some more specific examples of successes and failures. So Taylor and Miles, thank you for taking some time with us today uh, to talk about this. We really do appreciate that. And uh, everyone else, we do appreciate you for listening today and downloading this podcast. Have a great day. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. So many companies fail at this type of transformation because they think it's only a technology change. Amazing discussion with Taylor and Miles about the challenges of transforming both people and processes as a part of adopting a cloud-first technology position. Now, here's something that I'm really excited about. Starting on July 21st of 2020, Rackspace is starting a global roundtable series, which will occur monthly. In this first roundtable event on the 21st, which is hosted by none other than Jack Aldridge, author and global futurist. Our panel will be discussing the topic of Cloud First and Technology Second. Now you have to register for this free event. Just head over to rackspace.com slash solve slash solve strategy series. Now there are hyphens between solve strategy series and it's going to be an amazing event. So just head over there and register for it. The music you're hearing was performed by the youth orchestras of San Antonio. 
Now, in our next episode, you'll hear from Troy Peters, the director of this organization and an amazing musician in his own right, where we'll talk about the impact that technology has had on these student musicians during COVID-19 and what that could mean for the rest of us. Listen to this excerpt from our conversation. For musicians, it's so hard to know how to make music when you can't be with other humans. Technology's been a big help with that, right? You see people putting together performances that are based on weaving together elements that have been built in separate locations. But we're all obsessed right now with how do we get back in the same room with each other and how do we get back in the same room with an audience? There's gonna be a lot of creativity about how to turn that into something new and fresh. And that's in our next episode of Cloud Talk.